0: Well, it has been um, a fun January, February here at Good Shepherd as we've been diving into this focus on the early church, right? We've been exploring the book of Acts for a number of weeks now. This is our fourth week. Next week will be our final week in this series that we've titled Back to Basics. And if you haven't been around or you need a really quick refresher, here's where we've been so far. We've been in the early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles looking at the ways that those first Christians figured out how to continue the ministry of Jesus once he had left and ascended into heaven. We're trying to draw encouragement for our life together in 2024 from the life of those first disciples as they were just a fledgling group of people. And the very first week, we looked at the profound statement that the disciples gathered. Very simple, right? They had this pattern, a way of life together where they regularly met with one another, not just at a program or at weekly worship, but that they were in each other's lives. They were breaking bread with glad and generous hearts. They had a way of being community that drew one another in. And we talked about the importance of us, uh, people today in suburbia that live busy, hurried lives, how critical it is for us to have rhythms of gathering, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, that we need to break bread together. We need to be community. And the second week of our series, we looked at how the disciples also went out And we talked about this calibration in their life together between gathering and being sent, coming together in the home and going out into the marketplace, and how the disciples understood that they weren't a community that existed just for themselves. They existed to be out in society. And last week, Pastor Alex preached a great sermon about how the early church community had an ethic of generosity. There was no concept of scarcity in those first disciples' minds. We talked about how they would sell possessions and give to anyone in need. They pooled their resources, but it wasn't just a financial generosity. Those first Christians had a generosity of spirit. They were open. They understood that their life was to be a a blessing for the sake of others. Alex encouraged all of us to be thinking about Our life now? Are we operating from an ethic of scarcity? There's not enough. Or are we operating with an ethic of abundance? There's more than enough. God will be the one that will supply everything we need, and so we can freely share. You know, when we look at the early church, I, I think it's important for us to remember something. We are those followers of Jesus in 2024, and we are on. Um, we have 2,000 years of, of Christian history and tradition that that have influenced the faith life of of our Christianity today. And by default, we tend to think of the Jesus movement Christianity as this global world religion. Right? It's one of the major world religions. And yet, when we read the stories of those early Christians, I think we're wise to remember that they were an extreme minority. It's hard for us to to really grasp that concept at times. They were a persecuted minority group that faced constant criticism they had a different way of thinking, they had a different way of being that was running counter to, to societal norms. And what do we know about any minority up-and-coming group? What, what does it often face in society at large? Rejection, criticism, p- persecution, If you're a sociologist, you could look at thousands of movements across history and see minority groups and how majority societies react to them. It's usually not favorable. And yet, we are here today because something amazing happened through this ragtag, odd outcast group of Jesus' followers, the minority group that resided in Jerusalem. Now, remember, the day of Pentecost came, and Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit filled the apostles, and they would eventually, through the Acts of the Apostles, be sent all over Asia Minor. Uh, Paul would eventually come on the scene and travel all over the Mediterranean. We know that those early disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, would eventually take the story and message of Christianity all over the world. But for a long season, they stayed put right in their own backyard. And as they were operating and living, gathering and going out, living generously in Jerusalem, something truly remarkable happened. Little by little by little, they endeared community. The minority group that was living differently, thinking differently, worshiping differently, eventually won over the people, which rarely ever happens. And one of the reasons that they won over the people is because they kept their message so simple. Everything those first Christians did was oriented not around a style of worship, not even a a profound, fully fleshed out theology and, and belief system that they wanted to download into other people. They simply were oriented around a paradigm of death and resurrection. Death and new life. Almost every one of the Acts of the Apostles through the book of Acts, you can find that thread, that paradigm present. And it's present in our reading today. I read from Acts chapter four and Peter and John are brought before the religious authorities and the leaders of the court and they're questioned because they had healed somebody, somebody who was lame and and couldn't walk and, and they were questioned about this. And I love their defense Again, I think it's helpful for us to back up, though, and to see what was really happening in Acts chapter 3. This is what it says. There's so much here for us. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Let's stop there for a second. Can you imagine for a moment, on Sunday morning, you left your home in a hurry and in a flurry. You packed the kids into the car, yelling at them half the way to get into the car, We're going to church, or your spouse, you're waiting on them to get ready or you're just running late and you're stressed out. Some of you are looking at each other. That was your morning today. Be quiet. You better behave. Sit still, sit still. And then you come in and you act all happy, right? I know what it's like. I've got three kids. And as you park in the parking lot here and you start to come into the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Temple, look at how beautiful it is. There are 50 people who were brought here right outside on our steps, who were looking at you, begging from you, please, 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 can you can you help me? And and as you tried to make your way from your car into the temple, you were trying not to make eye contact with them. Right. Do you know what that's like? Are you guilty of that like, like I am? Have you ever been at the Costco parking lot and you see the person from out of the corner of your eye who's kind of approaching and you know that you have a hunch they're going to ask you for something, and you're like, just don't make eye contact. Just if they don't see me and I don't see them, I can go get my extra large bag of Cheetos and everything will be okay. That's what it was like for those first believers as they went to the temple. It was common practice for people to carry those who were lame, those who were blind, those who relied on the assistance of others, they would be brought right outside the temple. And as faithful people entered to worship, they would beg of the religious community. And most people would walk right past them, not looking at them, not seeing them, to go in to offer their prayers to God. And I love what we see here from Peter and John. Here's what it says. When the man saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money, which is what he asked everyone else who walked in before him. And here's the line that is so simple and yet tells us so much about the early church. Peter looked straight at him. There are so many miracles and stories of healing in the Bible that we marvel at. I think one of the most miraculous things is that Peter would look straight at the one that nobody wanted to look at, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. I see you. Can you see me? So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And here's the second miracle. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. These are simple human actions of the early church. Peter and John did what the masses would not do. They looked at somebody who had need, who was living in a a very literal death, and looking at him and seeing the humanity in the man, Peter offered his own hand and said, put your hand in mine, I will help you walk. And together they go in. Do you not see that this is a story of death and resurrection? It's not just death and resurrection because of the physical ailment, the miraculous healing. It's a death to a resurrection in community, in connection, in friendship, in a shared humanity. This is how the early church endeared the community. And then I love what comes next. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, remember Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. There it is again, death and resurrection. And then here's my favorite line. And it's repeated over and again in the book of Acts. This is my favorite line. Remember, Peter and John are uneducated, ordinary men, and every time, every time through the book of Acts, when they're brought before rulers or judges or the jailmen, they give the same defense, and it's so simple, and it's so hard to argue with. They simply said, we are witnesses to these things. Do you see the simple paradigms by which the early church operated? We exist to be a witness to these things that have taken place. We are a witness to death and resurrection. I don't know what else to say. He was dead, and now he's alive. He couldn't walk, and now he walks. He was blind, and now he sees. He didn't have community, and now he's filled with love and joy. We're witnesses to these things. Over and over and over again, this is all they say. And we begin to see what was at the very center of the early Christian community, which was not a preoccupation with going to the temple, offering flowery prayers and worshiping a God while being devoid of connection to people in need. That was not what grew the church. That was not the pattern of the early church. Now, don't hear me wrong. The early Christian community they worshiped with joy and with passion as an outpouring of their mission. But the central thing that united the early Christians together was a mission and a purpose to be a witness to death and resurrection. They gathered weekly to give God praise and lament around all of the deaths and all of the new lives that they had experienced. It's very, very simple. Peter goes on here because all the people are gathered and they're marveling and they're amazed at this man who couldn't walk and now he walks and Peter goes into this sermon, a far better sermon than Alex and I could ever give, walking through everything that happened to Jesus. But I love how he ends it. He says, indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets in the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you. You see, Peter and John are doing everything they can to connect the story of death and resurrection to the everyday people, and they're reminding them of their original calling to be a blessing to all people, to all nations. We are witnesses to these things. Why does this matter so much for us? I think that after 2,024 years of Christian history and tradition, we have lost the script. We have lost sight that the primary thing that should drive us, orient us, motivate us is to be a witness to death and resurrection. The primary thing is not gathering on Sunday in worship. Now that might sound anathema to you, But it's biblical. It's true. Worship matters. I love worship. I'm a pastor. I love this. But this isn't the whole story. You see, being a witness to death and resurrection was never relegated to a Thursday afternoon program from 6 to 7 p.m., it was a way of life. The church and the Christian community has never had more resources in the history of Christianity. That early Christian community could not have imagined having the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church temple. They couldn't imagine this. We have never been more resourced as God's people, and yet we have never had more, we've never been more at risk of losing the sight line of why we gather in the first place. The question that I want Good Shepherd to wrestle with from now into the future is that primary question, that basic question, how are we motivated? to be a witness to the resurrection? And how are we endearing the community to that message? Worship matters, and you are faithful Lutherans. I know you're going to worship. But the question that, that should keep us up at night, the question that should drive us out of our small group, out of our church program and into the real world, is the question, how are we endearing The thousands of workers right down the street at Jewish Hospital who go every day and labor to care for the sick and the ailing and the dying. How are we endearing the weary and tired hospital worker to a story of death and resurrection? Do we have eyes to see the thousands of retail workers right across the street in that big behemoth of a mall who every day put up with hoity toity, arrogant, rude consumers? Sometimes I'm one of them. How are we endearing those people to a message of death and resurrection? How are we endearing the the hundred families that drop their little ones off at our preschool every week, who we know are struggling to just make life work because, man, raising toddlers. (sighs) I know, I'm one of them how are we endearing them to a message of death and resurrection? Do we have eyes to see the people like Peter and John saw the man? And do we have heart and a boldness of our faith to say, take my hand, put your hand in mine. You see, we have such potential and such opportunity as Christians in 2024 to get beyond the religion and the ritual And to get right back into the heart of the matter, this is all about relationship with God and relationship with other people. And the thread, the through line that connects it all is that we have a story. We have a story of death and resurrection. And that story has power. Think about your own stories of death and resurrection. Think about the moments in your life when you felt like all was lost, a grief unbearable, a life change that you never saw coming. Think about all of those things that you've suffered, maybe some of which nobody else knows about. And yet you are here. And yet you show up. You see, when we open ourselves up to others and tell them our stories of death, and the way that God has met us with new life, we bring healing into the world. That is how the church grew. That is how the message of Christianity went from minority, ragtag, persecuted group of outsiders to spreading and growing and expanding. It was the love and the mission and the heartbeat of telling people about death and resurrection. It was never about, we got a really cool set of drums in worship. It's always about Christ. So good shepherd, I hope that this is stirring something in you like it's stirring something new in me. I am done playing church. I don't want to play church. I'm not in this for churchianity. I want to be in this like I know you want to be in this for Christianity, which is about binding up the brokenhearted, carrying one another's burdens, pointing one another, even on our worst days, to a God who is breaking in and doing a new thing. And if you're in for that, then look out world. Margaret Mead said, never underestimate a small group of dedicated individuals who want to change the world because they're the only ones who ever have. Amen.